0: And, and just stop this idea that everything is successful all of the time, which, which it just isn't. You know, you know, we do need to take risks to try and, try and work through these very, very complicated situations. I don't think you can do that on your own anymore as an organisation. Data has a really good way of playing a role in linking that together.
1: Welcome to a brand new episode of Starts at the Top, our podcast about leadership, digital culture and change. I'm Paul Thomas.
2: And I'm Zoe Ammer. Our podcast brings you interviews with leaders from the public, private, and third sector who are using digital to navigate uncertainty and forge a path to the future. In this episode, we speak to Matt Stevenson Dodd, who is the founder and managing director of Trust Impact, a data and impact consultancy helping charities and social enterprises to measure and report on their impact.
1: We had a great conversation with Matt and Zoe. We probably need to start keeping the tape running a bit longer after these interviews because there's some gold at the end of these conversations. So, we had a great conversation about, about impact in the charity sector, but also uh, about Matt's band, the, the Bright Lights. And uh, he recommended and we recommended lots of music that we love, including 90s indies, indie disco, disco tunes. So, uh, when are we going to start the uh, disco or the music spin off of Starts at the Top?
2: Well as the, the baking spin off, yeah, lots of diversification <laughs> opportunities here. I like it.
1: Um, but we, whilst we jest, and whilst we would like to uh, have all the time in the world to do the many different versions of starts at the top, uh, this week, Zoe, you wrote a really important blog post about inclusivity in, in tech for good, and what it's like to be a woman of color in tech. It was um, it was a really brave post. Um, it gave me a lot of pause for thought um, and it's had a great response. So I wanted to check in with you and just see how it's been for you since since posting and and how that's been. And then we can talk a little bit about my, uh, about a few reflections on on what that might mean going forward. So. So how has the week been for you since posting that?
2: It's been a bit of an emotional roller coaster. You'll have seen in the blog that uh it was kind of a long form write-up of what I talked about at a catalyst event about um inclusion. Uh, and it was really emotional. I've never put my experiences out there in that way Uh, but I was motivated to do it because I thought it would help other women and other people of colour working in tech for good and to really drag these experiences and this whole conversation about safety in the workplace and how we make people feel included to drag that into the open and into the light so we can just look at all this stuff because there are stories coming up right left and centre this week whether it's Angela Rayner or Tim Westwood um, or, you know, this little blog I've written that show that this is a live issue going on in workplaces and industries all over the country and probably all over the world, I, I would imagine. So it was really hard. I'll be honest, it was it was really hard. But seeing people's reaction to it, I, I've had some amazing messages from from women saying it really resonated with them um one contacted me and was so supportive and said I'm going to send this to my team I'm going to start a whole conversation with them about inclusion and this blog's going to be a great prompt to get that going because often I think it's fair enough there's loads of brilliant decent kind men out there who it's hard to get that conversation going I mean where do you begin and if my blog helps people do that and it helps other women and also other people of colour realise they're not alone, then it's done its job.
1: Yeah, and I saw more than a few men sharing it and encouraging other men to, to read it. Um, and I was proud of you for doing it. Um, it's, uh, it, it, was, it, was, um, it was well said, well meant. And uh, from what I understand from you, it's, it's got a lot of people around, even around the table, that you're actually sitting around this week talking and and sharing and and you said you sort of noticed an immediate sort of change in behaviour from from some people um, to be a bit more open and a bit more inclusive.
2: Yes yeah and that's the power of real authentic storytelling isn't it? You can do something that really makes a difference with it and sometimes people need to be I think kind of prompted and maybe even shaken up a little into in change and to acknowledging together that things need to be different because it's not just me. This stuff has happened to. It's happened to so many women I know and so many people of color. And what we must make sure that we're doing in in tech for good and technology more widely is make sure we're not replicating and maybe making even worse. Some of these systemic issues around power, because otherwise, what's the point? What is the point?
1: Yeah, yeah, and hopefully, it makes people think about uh, their 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 choices and the people that they they choose to support and work alongside. Um, you know, behaviour that's exhibited in that way needs to be uh, challenged and, uh, and and kicked out. And it just made me reflect. We were just talking a second ago, but it did make me reflect on. Um, some opportunities that that I've either turned down or, or, or left just from often from getting a, a sort of a, a negative feeling from a conversation. You've said this before, where you've had a conversation with someone and you just had a slight sense that that it wasn't it wasn't right. Um, and I've had and work walked away from from work with um, businesses that I've I've really respected people within the businesses and actually the businesses are trying to do great things, but the actual leader behind the business has been, um, and this is, this is coming from a six-foot-six white male, you know, I'm not easily intimidated, um, but, um, but to working with people where I've just said, no, enough is enough, um, and, and not necessarily that being uh, directed at, at women or, or, or women of colour or anyone of colour, but, but a toxic masculinity that I've just been deeply uncomfortable with. So no, thank you for for calling it out, and and actually it, it and, and and thank you for for standing up for it, and it'll be interesting to see how much that 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 leads to, how much change we can look back in a year's time, perhaps, and say what it's actually led to and what changes um, the, the the pervasive nature of the changes that it starts. But we also wanted to talk about. Um, Elon Musk and and Elon Musk buying Twitter. We talked about it two weeks ago, and it's 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 come to pass, or it's it's sort of going through the the, the motions at the moment. And there's a number of things that we feel that you know Elon Musk might bring to the, to the board, uh, uh, bring to bring to Twitter, and bring changes to Twitter. But one of them that resonates with this conversation is this freedom of speech point that you know bringing back people like Donald Trump and making it a platform that that, should be as open and and, and anyone can say what they say because freedom of speech is a really important thing. And and I just commented to you that being a white billionaire and standing up for freedom of speech is quite easy. When you're one of the people that freedom of speech affects and impinges on a day-to-day basis because of your colour or your sex or your religion or whatever it might be is the problem that these channels um, have at the moment. So I'm, I'm hopeful that one of the things that Elon Musk thinks about when standing up for freedom of speech on Twitter is that the controls and the ways that we need to, to look at that channel, that, that channel needs to be governed, are important and need to be uh, in place. They can't just be swept under the carpet.
2: I completely agree with that. And I think what has worried a lot of people this week is the amount of power and influence that Elon Musk is is, going to have if this deal does indeed go through. Uh, And you and I were talking today before we started recording about that very small, it's literally a handful, isn't it, of Silicon Valley billionaires who, through their ownership um, and their founding of, of these companies, have have more power probably than any leaders of any governments have had at any point in human history, because they've got the data and they've got the the channels and and they've got the technology and the scale to have a scarily enormous impact on the future of our societies and also the, the planet as well. And I worry about that because this very small group of people are so completely wealthy, are very out of, of touch with what's going on with the ordinary person who's using these channels day to day.
1: Yeah, it's the real disconnect and and you know we've we've talked quite a bit, so we probably won't go into too much else about what what might change on that channel. I think it's it's good to to sort of round this bit of the conversation off. but I think it's something that we'll keep coming back to because um the 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 sort of the predominant change I guess uh in the world that we exist in work-wise and and and, uh, this this podcast is the rise of social media over the course of the last 15 years and the impact of 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 that on on the way that we are the way that we work the way that, that humanity works the way that the news cycle works all of these things and yeah to put that in the power of uh or put that 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 platform in the power of 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 uh, of, of, of one man, one the, the richest man in the world, is is quite a, a frightening um, uh, concept, uh, also because he's talking about bringing back or you know, bringing in the much sort of vaunted edit button as well, so he can say what he wants and then he can change what he said, um, and anyone can do that. So we we should we should keep one eye on that. But yeah, good chat.
2: For our a conversation with Matt Stevenson-Dodd, Founder and Managing Director of Trust Impact. Uh, I've known Matt for several years and reconnected with him recently uh, when he was about to start some really exciting work around uh, supporting charities further with data through an interesting new product they developed and he's also got a great story about his journey as a leader and where the sector is going. Matt Stevenson Dodd is the founder and managing director of Trust Impact, a data and impact consultancy that helps charities and social enterprises to measure and report impact from a more transparent, strategic, and pragmatic viewpoint. Often bringing impact to life through data visualisations. Prior to Trust Impact, Matt was CEO of Street League. UK's leading sport for employment charity where he was CEO from 2010 until 2019. Street League grew rapidly and in 2017 launched an innovative online impact dashboard showing real-time transparent impact data. This included taking the unusual step of showing all the young people Street League were not able to help, as well as the success stories. Matt is now Chair of Football Beyond Borders, a charity using football to engage young people in secondary schools and help them stay in school to achieve better GCSE results. He is also a trustee of People's Postcode Lottery Children, Support Care Trusts and was a Social CEO winner in 2015 and 2016. Matt Stevenson dodd welcome to Start to the Top. Hello. It's so lovely to have you here today, Uh, and there's so much that we want to talk to you about, whether that's data, whether that's leadership, um, and I know also we're going to touch on um, 90s uh, indie records as well later in this conversation, so I'm looking forward to that too. Um,
1: And I think a first guest to get um, football in the bio. No, we just joked on our last recording that I always get football into it. I haven't even needed to this time. Zoe's already put it in there.
2: Amazing. Amazing so we will definitely um, explore that as, as well of course. Uh, Matt we want to begin by talking about your own journey uh, as a leader and when we first spoke um, in a bit more detail about this conversation a few weeks ago, uh, we talked about the um, How there seems to be an emerging breed of leaders across the sector, which um, Paul and I see almost like a multi dimensional CEO. So, people who aren't necessarily following this classic career path that you and I probably saw when we first joined the sector of going from a director role, then a CEO role, and a CEO role, and then perhaps a CEO of another big charity. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But you strike me as someone who's really forged your own path very much based on the impact that you want to see and the values that you. You have so I just wanted to hear a bit more about what that journey has been like for you
0: yeah it's um it's an interesting interesting sort of way to look at it because I think I was on that path of ever bigger charities and you know wanting to be the CEO of the next the next bigger one um somebody once said to me I think you know you get to the point where you need a bigger train set to play with and I you know I, I think I think that was my path but then I don't know whether I was entirely happy being a CEO. I liked quite a lot of it and I had some amazing experiences. But the things that I really liked, I just wanted to do more of those. So I used to love like innovation. I used to love trying new things, challenging, you know, the, the status quo a bit. Probably been a bit, um, you know, taking, taking a few risks and trying things like that. Um, and, and, and impact, I think, for me came out of that as a way of thinking, can we do something different here and, and the work we did at street league sort of you know really really exemplified that but the last few years at Street League, i was thinking do i do i go for a bigger job or do i just try and do something something different and you know so the conversation you and i had at, at the ncvo conference um many years ago probably two three maybe even four years ago now uh, you said to me some people work across the sector and it just really resonated with me i thought actually you're right. Some people can do different jobs. And if I could do that bit that I love about being a CEO with more organisations, that's, that's got to be the way
2: forward. Oh, that's great to hear that, Matt. Thank you. And when we spoke about this a, a few weeks ago, we we talked about how the job of a CEO, as particularly a CEO of a charity, is is really challenging and how you have to be in so many different places at once and across all of these different things. Uh, for anyone who is listening, who perhaps is an aspiring CEO, can you tell us a bit more about what that challenge is like?
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's the best job and the worst job. It's, you know, it's got everything in it. I mean, I, I remember when I set up my first um, social enterprise back in 2000 with a group of young people in Newark, you know, I, I was I was the first employee, you know, and eventually became a CEO of that organization. But you have to sort of fill in all the gaps until you you're big enough to get, you know, different people to come in and do those jobs. So you sort of end up being quite an all rounder, I think. And I it really appealed to me. I love that. You know, turning my hand to everything from the you know the finances to fundraising, operations, even cleaning the toilets. You know, you've got to you've got to sort of do everything. Um, and then gradually as you sort of move on, I remember one of my mentors said to me, over the course of your career, you, you know, you get to just do the bits that you, you kind of love doing. And I, I think I still found that CEO role, uh, you know, too broad for me. You know, there's there's bits that I didn't really enjoy, uh, but but felt they were necessary as part of the job. But I think when when you're starting out, it's just such a privilege to be in that position and to, you know, to, to bring a team together who can really achieve something, you know, more than you could do on your own. And I always love those moments where you, you know, you manage to recruit somebody who's absolutely amazing and bring them in and you just think, thank goodness, you know, they're so much better than, that, than I am. And, and you, you feel like you take that big step forward then.
2: And do you think that the job, particularly of charity CEO, do you think that is getting harder? I'm thinking there of the amount of scrutiny that the sector is under right now. Is it getting more difficult?
0: Yeah, I, I, I think it's it was a tricky job anyway. I, I think, um, you know, recent events like, I mean, the pandemic, obviously, but Black Lives Matter as well, I think, through a whole different uh, view on, on the role of the chief executive and, and how inclusive organisations are. Um, you know, I think it's, it's been a very challenging time and um, because, you, you know, you, you're in a leadership role, but actually, you know, organisations need to be much more about you know, decisions being taken in, within the organisation, in different places, different people becoming leaders of the organisation. And it's quite a cultural change, I think, in its broadest sense that the charities are having to go on. Throw into that as well, you know, the question of impact. And I I, I think this has really become you know, very, very poignant in, in the recent years post pandemic as we started to move out. You know, there's less money, there's more demand. You've got to sort of frame that change in the organization around something. So, you know, you're asking leaders to now start thinking about, okay, what is the actual purpose of the organization and how are you achieving that as a whole organization? I think it's it's such a broad job that you do really need that core team to be right with you and, and to, you know, to share that responsibility, to share that load. I don't think you can you can really take all of that on on your own.
2: And there are those big existential questions, as you say, aren't there, about why is the organisation here? And and why am I here as well? And am I the right person to to lead this change? Are there leaders that you've worked with who are asking themselves those really fundamental questions?
0: Yeah, I mean, all all, all the time. And I think, you know, it's tricky, especially as we were talking about before, you know, if you're on that career trajectory and you're thinking, well, I'm a CEO. It's quite a big decision to not be a CEO, you know, and, and, you know, I think, as you were saying, like people having that sort of social drive to say, I I just want to make an impact. I think you, you can actually question whether you know is it right that I'm the CEO or, or should I play another role either in that organization or another organization or or, or in the sector and I don't know whether how, how good we are at that yet that that transitioning you know how people feel about you if you if you make that choice you know how your career might be impacted or you know would you would you ever be able to go back to being a CEO I, I, I don't know um I, I think we've got work to do on that you know allowing people to take choices in that way and and make those strategic choices about what they think they can add value in really
2: mm, and i think you're right because i i don't know whether recruiters have really caught up with those those sort of non linear career paths because as you say people do move you know, move roles. They also move sort of seniority sometimes might be for due to caring responsibilities, uh, and they also might move between sectors as well. And personally, I really welcome that growth of different skills that people can bring to to these roles. But I'm not sure that traditional recruitment has has really uh, reflected the the benefits of that approach.
0: Yeah, I I, I would completely agree. When I um, when I set up Trust Impact in January 2019. Um, one of one of the um, the recruitment agency people I really like and trust said to me basically you've got about two years maybe three years to decide if you want to come back to being a CEO after from being a consultant because you know people would question have you have you still got the relevant experience could you you know come back and do it and I I remember getting to three years with Trust Impact thinking well that's it you know I'm, I'm staying that's that's what what I want to do but you know you sort of think yeah i mean could you could you be more flexible i think you could you know there's there's a lot more sort of um i I think if we build teams based on on people's uh, you know skills and experience but also their their purpose their own sense of purpose around what they would like to add value to and what they what they think they can really achieve i think that you'd have a lot more flexibility in how organizations are run and people wouldn't feel stuck in a role that they Perhaps don't feel like they're completely happy and or you know, because that's all they they're typecast to do, really.
2: Definitely, I guess
1: we've had other conversations, haven't we, about you know, leading leading on issues or leading on parts of the um, the organisation in areas of impact that where you don't have the lived experience that some of the people within your organisation might have around a subject. So having the uh, the strength to let go of certain things and say, well, you're in a better position to to lead on this than I am is something that I think is, 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 you know, core strength of a, you know, a good CEO.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I think, um, you know, we, we all have strengths and weaknesses. And um, I think sometimes the CEO, you know, they say it's quite lonely, the CEO role. I think it, I think it is sometimes you feel a lot of pressure. I think that you should have an answer for everything and you should have, you know, the oversight of, of everything. But some of, some of the charities in our country are so large it's it's very very tricky to have that overall oversight and the teams we work with and we've been so privileged to work with uh, 50 organisations now in the last three years you know we we always try and sort of take them back to that core purpose and and I I find that so fascinating you know when you say to organisations what do you think the purpose is And, and we ask everybody to describe it and people will come up with all different sort of answers but actually not always aligned and going back to that kind of clarity around this is what we're trying to do as a team I think can be really helpful for that that whole team to realign and not feel so much like it's on the on the CEO to have all the answers across a broad spectrum of you know services and and, and issues
2: and talking of uh, recruitment and career progression do you think that we're doing enough as a sector right now to create that pipeline of emerging leaders young people who who are kind of coming into the sector now because as you say they've got very different expectations their their idea of what their career might look like is is going to be very different and probably a lot more flexible and, and varied and multidisciplinary could we be doing more as a sector to help create that pipeline of talent do you think
0: Yeah undoubtedly I think this is one of the most important issues for us Um, I mean I I think if we can help young people coming into the sector to feel that they've got a path that will lead them to be chief executives if they want to be or to be senior leaders if they want to be um, but that's got to be the the, the way forward. um, I'm chair of Football Beyond Borders as you were saying at at the beginning I was having a conversation with one of our brilliant staff members who is 28 years old in in Manchester and I I was sort of um, reflecting to him when I was 28 I started my MBA and it it just felt like my my peer group were all starting MBAs you know I felt well I should go and start an MBA and it's been you know really useful to me in my career but I was sort of saying to him have you thought about doing an MBA have you thought about what we could do to help you with your qualification it might not be an MBA it might, might be something else but you know, what are we doing to help you be CEO in five years or, or, or you know, maybe not in, in FPB, maybe in FBB, but wherever you want to go. I think we've got a duty to help people progress to their, to the level of their potential where they want to be rather than feeling that, you know, I, I wonder sometimes if people sort of get a little bit stuck and then you sort of sometimes feel like, oh, I've got to move roles to another organisation and, You know, I think we could do a lot more on pipeline, actually, and start to build that out so people can see a progression to wherever they want to get to.
2: I completely agree with that. And I think that it's so important for how we make leadership more inclusive, isn't it? Because... Uh, we've just been interviewing um martha um our jobby earlier today so we've got an exciting uh episode with her coming out soon as well and she was very much talking about how leadership is is not about a job title anymore or your pay grade or how seniors it's about what what you do and the change that you affect
0: yeah uh, absolutely and you know you talk to so many people in organizations and again we have this privilege to to, you know to work with these teams and I think sometimes the clarity on purpose that you get from a more junior member of the team is is just incredible really you know they can see the organization in such clarity whereas sometimes the senior teams you know because they're they're just so immersed in it and so involved in the in the day-to-day running you know and, and that sort of sense of purpose I think has got to come back to the fore we've got to all understand you know why are we trying to do this we, we we spend a lot of time with organizations trying to lift them out of kpis and into you know what are the what are the sort of three to five things that really would matter to this organization what are the things that would would really you know tell you that you were successful And i think you know that is how leaders should be i think like looking particularly in charities you know we are we're not here to make money we're here to make social change and social impact and that often I think is an afterthought. Uh, a lot of organizations sort of function on, well, you know, this is what we do and therefore let's try and derive some impact from it. But if, if you can really um, put, put purpose at the heart and say, you know, impact should be our strategy actually as, as organizations, that I think is a lot more appealing to a wider group of people because everybody can then say, okay, are we actually meet, meeting that challenge? Are we, Are we living our values? Are we, you know, achieving this social impact that we set out to achieve?
2: And that notion of purpose is really fundamental to data, isn't it, and impact in the work that you do? Because presumably uh, purpose in particular is is vital for what data you collect and what you're looking for in terms of the, the insights within it and how you know what success looks like there in terms of the change that you're making. Can you tell us a bit more about some of the current data trends that you're seeing with charities and how they're
0: dealing with those, yeah I, I mean i must say i think it's the most exciting time for data um, in the sector it's, it's become a lot more uh, easy to use um you know technology's really moved forward and i think you know gone are the days when you'd sort of try and cram as much in, as you can into your server that's in the corner of the room you know data is all over the place now it's, it's more accessible more usable so i think you know as you were saying if you can if you can get that clarity on core purpose um, you don't need to be measuring hundreds of different things to to really understand the difference you're making. Um, one of one of the clients we work with was trying to measure over a thousand data points on each each uh, beneficiary, and, and I don't even know how you begin to ask that many questions. It's, it's it's quite incredible. You know what if what if that thousand was five? You know, could you actually do it like that? I mean, that's probably a bit extreme. You probably need to know a little bit more. But really, you know, getting that focus down to this is what we do, and this is how we know whether we're successful. Yes, you're, you know you can you can build out from there. So, you know, once you've got that data, once you've got it in a really clear format, and and you know, this all starts with purpose. You can then tell a really clear and simple story using data visualization, and 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 move away from a kind of retrospective evaluation of work into a real time mode. You know, you can look at things and say. Is that actually making a difference? If I change this, will it change the data? And um, that—that to me is really exciting because it drives great decision making around social impact. Rather than we'll run a bit and then in a year's time we'll retrospectively look back and see how we did. You know, you can actually be pulling the levers in real time and seeing that social impact happen.
1: Quite refreshing, actually, to hear the um, the use of the word purpose. I, my background is is more um, is is much more based in, in corporate life and um i worked for an organization where the last probably the last five four five years of, of being there it was um it was all about purpose purpose was the the sort of the new buzzword that everyone needed to get on board with and you see that a lot through the corporate world so it's it's nice to be able to um to talk to someone who um who you know literally looking at the purpose of an organization is absolutely everything that that organization is there there to to do um talking about purpose within within sort of court, the corporate world has got a bit tired a bit sort of um uh, another box ticking exercise do you ever do you ever get approached by um, people outside of the sector asking you to come and help them to really reconnect with with what in essence is purpose behind an organization
0: and yes we're, we're starting to actually uh, we're starting to get a couple of private sector organizations quite quite large ones actually that are interested i think in in how to use purpose in social impact you know in, in their work i think this has been really driven by the uh, the esg demands from um, from from investors basically looking for environmental social governance outcomes um and it, which is great you know i think it's really starting to have an impact on bigger uh, private sector organizations who, who are now looking at you know what can we do to make a real difference in in communities to support so, social impact organisations? So we, we're starting to work on, on on very similar techniques really about okay what, what do you actually want to try and do and let's make that as simple and straightforward as possible so that when you start to work with charities and and social enterprises you're not asking them for hundreds and hundreds of things that are way out of what they're trying to do but you you have a very clear ask and and also. You know we, we talk about linking um, charities databases with with that funder um to, or that private sector organization so they're not demanding lots of reporting you know that actually the charity can choose to share one or two data points with that organization um in, in as a sort of transparent and open real-time view of, of what's going on you know rather than you know sit there and write me a long report and tell me how great this project has been Um, you know let's let's go into this in an open and transparent way where we can both judge how it's how it's going and and hopefully respond to you know these are really complex situations that people are trying to trying to solve so I think we've you know we can bring some value to to private sector organizations who want who are wanting to work in our sector who are wanting to work with organizations in the sector to to really help them focus as well and again we use purpose um, as the starting point for that
1: we've talked about that quite a lot over the years haven't we Zoe the sort of the relationships and partnerships that could be built that aren't just the the sort of the quite superfluous relationships that we used to have in the past where organizations would do charity work it's it's really connecting to to, to core partnerships that that drive uh, a sense of purpose through um, through different types of organizations so the connecting tissue between uh, these things because you know they, they can really help and they do often have budget um available to help with organizations that um that, that that need that need it more well i wouldn't say more than they do perhaps but can put it to better use often than, than the um, the organization organization themselves um we did have a question around um how uh the how the charity sector can best reinvent itself emerging from the pandemic but i wasn't on the call so we mentioned you've got a new product for charities would you like to tell us about about that
0: yeah so we, we um, we've got an amazing data person in trust impact team who, who built a load of really cool stuff over the pandemic um, so there's, there's a purpose alignment tool uh, that we have on our website for free uh, for charities to use where everybody describes the purpose in eight words and then it uses natural language processing to compare the words and gives you a score on uh, on alignments that, that's always really good fun we, we do that with all of our clients just to see how aligned they are and um, but recently we've, we've also just built a data sharing platform um, called connect mix share which um, which is designed really to automate the process of getting data out of a database and onto a data visualization without having to sort of sit there for days exporting spreadsheets and crunching the data and then trying to put it into into a visualization and what we find is a lot of those so, sort of process things are, are done every month by a team, but they could just be automated. Um, so, ConnectMixShare Share is a really easy way to connect to your database, um, choose the data you'd like to use, and you don't have to use everything. You know, just the just the, the fields, mix it in the way you'd like to mix it, and then uh, output it to a live uh, data visualization. We think it could be really transformational for a lot of organisations who have data, but maybe it's trapped in the database. Uh, You know that that is either in the corner of the room or on the cloud. Um, It it sort of you know moves that into a place where data becomes usable and and can be seen in real time.
1: Mm. We always had that discussion about once you'd used something like Microsoft Power BI to surface some of the data where could you put it that would have the most impact one of the one of the specific areas in this um, accountancy firm i worked in was in the london head office could they have a big screen behind the the desk of them what would they be prepared to surface from the, the data that they, they held? It could be quite impactful that people are sort of um, seeing that on a daily basis rather than what tends to happen is a report gets generated from a, into a spreadsheet or something and then never gets shared. So, yeah, I, I completely buy that. So, so what, what's, a, what's a great example of that in use at the moment?
0: Um, so I think uh, the, the best example at the moment is we did a piece of work with YMCA England and Wales, um, where uh, they're a federated structure of over 100 uh, charities, and each of those charities is, is almost like an individual charity, but drawn together by a by a federated structure. They all have their own databases, and they're all set up in different ways. So, trying to sort of amalgamate an impact story for for that whole federation could be quite tricky. And prior to this, they would have they would have used a, an annual survey you know, it's out of date as soon as it's, it's done. And then you've got to wait another year for the, for the results. Um, what, what we did was use Connect Mix Share to, uh, to connect to each of the um, local YMCA's databases. And they chose the data they wanted to share with head office in the, in the, in the pilot stage. It was you know, five pieces of data around how many rooms they had, how occupied they were, uh, how long people stayed and where they went to next um, in terms of destination and whether that was a positive or negative destination. Um, which starts to get into transparency and, and so we, we now have a live uh, data visualization which is at impact.ymca.org.uk which shows in real time how many people are being accommodated in ymca accommodation across the country um, at the moment there are 20 ymcas who are sharing live data with that it's growing all of the time uh, there's 48 of the 100 that provide accommodation but they also have lots of other services and that we're starting to visualize now and the principle is we draw that data without them having any pain locally you know they just carry on doing their job and that data just comes out so if somebody moves out in derbyshire you know it will update the the uh, the national visualization within an hour um but what that means is you know rather than having to wait a year for the results you know the, the CEO at YMC England and Wales could just go and see a government minister and say look this is what's happening right now you know we're we're doing this as a collective across this country and we're making a, a, a huge difference the, the other thing to your point about sort of uh, more transparency and what would you put on that on that screen you know we had a really great conversation with them about would you display uh, negative destinations you know um, sometimes people will move out and they'll They'll, they'll be sofa surfing or they'll be taken into custody or you know another another sort of not positive outcome and I, I, it was a lovely discussion because you know what we were able to acknowledge was YMCA's are working in some really quite tricky position you know uh, situations and offering an amazing support service but it's not always going to work you know and, that and this is the reality of all charities you know it doesn't always work but we don't always talk about the negatives we always talk about the success so on the right hand side of this dashboard, you, you'd be able to filter down to, OK, when it didn't go right, let's have a look and, and see what that was. Um, so it's, it's a really clear and transparent view of of that using just five data points from each charity, you know, each of the local YMCA's.
1: I really like the idea of delving into the into the the, the negative or the things that aren't going quite so well and just being able to show people that because that's where you get the change from. Right. You, know, you yeah. keep bashing people over the head with what you're doing brilliantly. Then you—that's the the entire view that you, you have. Once you start to show people where they can make stronger impact, or where we need to make stronger impact, that's where you can exact change. Yeah, definitely.
2: Um, wanted to ask you before we get on to Paul's um '90s indie indie disco question uh, about the path out of the pandemic. And when you and I spoke a few weeks ago, we talked about how. There is a bit of a once in a lifetime opportunity right now, isn't there? Over the next six to 12 months for the sector to reinvent itself, to look at itself with fresh eyes and to ask itself these fundamental questions about purpose. And it's, it's why and it's how. What would you recommend to leaders out there as they consider the, those questions? Because this is, you know, this is a really unique opportunity to to think about them, isn't it?
0: Yeah, definitely. I think I think you know, it's a real opportunity. I think to stop and just take stock about where where we are. And, and one of the conversations we have a lot with clients is is about what is their role in the ecosystem of other organisations that are doing similar things. So you might have a shared vision about a change that you'd like but what is your role in achieving that that shared vision I again it comes back to purpose what is your purpose of, of making that change and I think sometimes I think if you can see yourself as a you know a really important part of a whole and um, you know that that then opens up conversations about could we collaborate more could we share more could we actually you know to Paul's point could we could we talk about what we're not getting right so we can see whether there are links that can be made, you know, with other organizations in our space to to work together more collaboratively and and just stop this idea that everything is successful all of the time, which it it just isn't. You know, know, we do need to take risks to try and try and work through these very, very complicated situations that we're all you know, we're all here to try and try and solve. And I I don't think you can do that on your own anymore as an organization. Data has a really good way of playing a role in linking that together. And I think this is the opportunity now to really take stock of, okay, you know, we shouldn't try and be all things to everybody, every organisation. We should try and be really clear that this is the difference we will make and really try and understand that and report that as transparently as possible, collaborate with others, see see what collaborations could really make a difference and, and just try and be a bit more innovative about that, I think. You know, organisations that would never have thought of working together should, should be looking at, can we do something that would try and change that situation or have a different angle on it um, but all of that starts with a real clear understanding of who you are in that in that space i think.
2: i really hope we'll see more partnerships coming out of this period of reflection and reconsideration as as well Paul, cool. you were going to ask um, your 90s indie disco <laughs> question, weren't you?
1: This is a real challenge. I've just been sitting here thinking I've, I've got to come up with something now. But this was just because at the beginning, um, the listeners can't see it. Behind you is a, um, a wall of guitars. I can see two. Um, one, one a bass. Um, are they both bass guitars?
0: Uh, I've got an acoustic and uh, two basses, yeah.
1: So you, you said that you played um, you played music, Um uh, in a local band and that your son, um, how, how old is your son? Uh, 16. So 16. Um, and his favorite band at the moment is?
0: My Bloody Valentine, which I, I <laughs> feel very proud as a father.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, so you should. So no, we were just, um, discussing the, the idea that, you know, um, Uh Indie Disco is coming back. Um, You play your band plays 90s music, Indie Disco. Um, It seems to be coming back. There is a new podcast. We can add that. Um, So sorry, I don't know if it's a podcast, but it's a BBC six six music show that's on, I think it's through the sounds app, which is as good as a podcast, I guess on Indie Disco, um, seems to be making a a comeback. So we were just discussing that. Whether I can make a question out of that that aligns to um, purposeful charities and purposeful organisations and and data, I've got no idea, but... um, That would be very skillful,
0: Paul, if you could do that.
1: (laughs) Well, the only thing I could think of was, um, there was a really nice data point I saw uh, at the weekend. Um, Last Friday was the 20th anniversary of um, Six Music. Um, uh, And for those of us who remember, Six Music was part of the initial um, crunch around the, the, the BBC, where the BBC said, well, we're going to take away a bunch of services. I think Six Music was one. I think it was at the same time as the BBC food website was another one, which I cannot even fathom the idea of that disappearing, because that is a go to destination for us in this family at least once a week. But they were talking about the um, uh, Six Music and and Six Music's listenership has gone up and up and up and up and up. The data point that was interesting was even though it's gone up and up and up, the uh, demand for tickets to Glastonbury for this year outstripped the listenership of a radio station like Six Music. Um, So people really wanting to get back to that um, uh, that, that sort of tangible, I'm in a field, listening to music. Is, is really 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 high i just thought there's a nice data point around that we'll find and share the article so we've got it uh, in the background but no Zoe i haven't really got a question
2: nice try though paul thank you um <laughs> well matt we look forward to your leaders with purpose and with amazing data skills playlist um i'm sure that will emerge at some point so we'll look forward to listening to that. <laughs>
1: So, I, would, I would suggest you said the smiths i would suggest it's probably more johnny marr than it is uh morrissey at the moment
0: y- yeah yes what, um, what a shame somebody who spoke for all of us now doesn't uh clearly it's uh, yeah quite quite a change i, I just just reflecting on the um, on the on the data point about more people wanted to do live music i mean, see live music i, I think it's so true it's the it's the one thing that i really really missed in the pandemic was playing music and being in a room full of people, you know, enjoying listening to music and jumping around. And um, you know, I, th- I think, uh, I was saying before, I played, I played our first gig in uh, in two years, a couple of weeks ago, and it's just such an amazing experience to be in a pub again with people playing songs. You know, it's just, I don't know, it's quite quite a sort of simple thing, really, that, that just has so much joy, I think, around it.
1: I think I uh, I haven't been back. That's the one thing I haven't done yet. There's lots of things that I've sort of you know, got back to, but the one thing I don't yet have the confidence to do, I don't think, is go into a room like Brixton Academy, for example, with all those people and and feel safe. Um, however, I am off to the football tonight to go and, and sit in a stadium, open-air stadium with 60,000 other people. So I'm I'm sort of, I'm sure I will get over that but i think it's a bit like the the experience at the in in the football stadiums as well what i hear is that people are going absolutely crazy at live gigs now there's a sort of an abandon that that people are are just entering the room with a, a sense of fervor that they didn't even have like you know didn't have 5 years ago so the artists are saying yeah the gigs are crazy at the moment people just going absolutely um nuts for the for the music
0: i'd, I'd like to say that happened in my village pub but it wasn't <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't that. Great. I did. I did go and see Enter Shikari actually just before uh, Christmas in in, um, in Manchester. Uh, I mean, despite being like double the average age of the audience, um, I, I, it's just amazing experience. And and it was like COVID hadn't happened. You know, everybody's crammed into a into a warehouse listening to this amazing band. Uh, it just it just it was so nice actually just to to get that sense of normality.
2: Amazing. Great stuff, lovely. Well, thank you so much, Matt. It's been an absolute pleasure uh, to chat to you and to hear about all the different ways in which you're leading change across the sector. So, thank you so much for being with us here today.
0: Thank you very much. It's very really good.
1: Thank you. Thank you to Matt for joining us on Starts at the Top. I love the use of live data to show progress against an objective or to illustrate a change, and we'll be interested to follow as Trust Impact develops. Thank you to him. And thank you to you for listening.
2: As usual, please leave us your feedback if you use a podcast app where you can rate and review. You can share your plans, ideas, or questions with us on Twitter. We're at, at Starts at the Top One, and you can email us at Starts at the Top Podcast at gmail.com.
1: And we'll speak to you again in a couple of weeks. We'll
2: speak to you soon.